Hi, I'm Steve Clemens, and I have some questions. Is Joe Biden's plan to lift patent protections for coronavirus vaccines really such a great idea? And will it really get vaccines to billions of people around the world pronto? Let's get to the bottom line. When he was running for president last year, Joe Biden promised to waive intellectual property protections for coronavirus vaccines. Then last week, he actually threw his support behind an effort at the World Trade Organization to make it happen, touching off a political firestorm at home. For supporters of the idea, it shows that Washington understands the pandemic doesn't respect borders, that the developing world needs help, and that a crisis this great demands big efforts, like waiving IP to solve it. For the critics, they're wondering why Biden would pull the rug out from beneath the innovators of miracle vaccines produced in an amazingly short period of time. They say this decision won't help people get vaccines more quickly and that there are lots of ways to globally produce, distribute and deploy vaccines to the rest of the world without giving away intellectual property protections. And to American trade protectionists, it's blasphemy to give Western secrets to medical producers in India, China and Russia. Of course, it's not a done deal. And many rich countries like Germany oppose Biden's idea. So in the end, is it just a symbolic move? And what will the consequences be? Today, we're getting two distinct perspectives on the debate. In the second half of the show, we're going to be joined by the chief U.S. correspondent of the Financial Times, Ed Luce. But first, we're talking to Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, the president and CEO of the world's biggest biotech lobby, known as BIO, the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. Before that, Dr. McMurray-Heath was a top executive at Johnson & Johnson. Michelle, it's great to be with you today. Look, I think a lot of people are feeling pain and frustration as they see so many in India and around the world suffer with the ravages of COVID. And in their minds, uh, big pharma firms, which they see as making lots and lots of money, are, are, are sitting on property rights that, if they were extended, could help uh, relieve that pain and suffering and death around the world. Tell me how you feel about that equation. Mm. Well, let's start with the end goal. Everyone shares the goal of making sure we get as many COVID vaccines out to every corner of the world, to every person who needs them as soon as possible. We are in a race against COVID variants. And so it's incredibly important, not only that everyone get vaccinated, but that we do it very, very quickly. No one is safe until we are all safe. This is uniformly shared amongst um, our companies and I think amongst public health professionals around the globe. Where we differ as is to the fastest way to actually get that done. And what stands in the way right now between shots and more arms is not intellectual property. Many of our companies have licensed their technology to manufacturers around the globe. I was recently in a conversation with the head of the Vaccine Manufacturing Association in India, and he was saying what we need is not more um, access to IP. We have lots of the top leading vaccine manufacturers licensed their technology to Indian manufacturers, but we can't get our hands on the raw materials because of well-meaning steps like the Defense Protection Act, which has really stopped a lot of the raw materials needed to manufacture vaccines at the U.S. border, preventing them from being exported out to others, and the fact that the U.S. has been really demanding that vaccine manufacturers reserve their supplies for U.S. population first. These are well-meaning policies. You can understand the incentives behind them and the logic behind them. But now that we're facing a global crisis, it's more important for us to share. And that's actually why the Biotechnology Innovation Organization has put together a group of proposals that would get us to the destination that we actually call SHARE to really make sure we're sharing the raw materials as well as the vaccine 
vaccines to everyone who needs them. I want to hear more about that in just a moment, but I, but I would like to play a clip from Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus, uh, the Director General of the World Health Organization, who's commented on this. I want to ask you about, you know, the ecosystem that has led to the, the generation of these vaccines and, and, and why he has the perspective he does. Let's listen to Dr. Ghebreyesus. We are in an unprecedented crisis that requires unprecedented action. Cases are at a record high. Almost 100,000 people are dying globally each week. And we have a chronic vaccine crisis. The World Trade Organization provisions for IP waivers were designed precisely for a situation like this. So, Michelle, I, I know that the WHO Director General understands that we've been through this period where there's been essentially a miraculous uh, uh, set of vaccine options that have been developed in, you know, very, very short period of time, and that we're not through this tunnel. What do you think is going on here? Why you suggested share? Uh, others have suggested a global Marshall Plan that would deploy this, that, that wouldn't touch intellectual property. Why are we uh, looking at intellectual property as the conveyor of vaccines, as he describes it, that, that you know, some people argue could undermine that innovative ecosystem that's created all these options? Well, let's start with his premise that this, these are unprecedented times that call for unprecedented action. And that's exactly what you've seen from the manufacturers and the innovators. You know, in the first 13 months of this pandemic, our company started over 960 research and development programs targeted at trying to either prevent COVID or stop COVID. We've seen the emergence of therapeutics and vaccines. We talk a lot about the top 10 that are either been approved or close to being approved, but there are actually over 190 COVID vaccines in development. That kind of robust response to any public health emergency is exactly what we want to see. And we don't want to do anything to undermine that response by shaking confidence in the IP system that has served us so well. This is, we need to make sure that we are handling this pandemic without undermining our ability to respond to the next pandemic because we never know when that will come. So there's that. Second, I understand his frustration because he's been trying to stimulate global leaders to take part in COVAX, which is a WHO supported effort to universally around the globe pool resources from from wealthier countries, use those resource, resources to purchase vaccines at very low cost, and then distribute them around the globe so that the poorest countries would receive COVID vaccines for free. And yet, what, the, what he's seen is a lack of response. Our, our countries have not stepped up to the plate. Um, the Biden administration took a huge step by reversing the previous administration's stance and actually pledging to participate in COVAX. The U.S. had been absent from the table up to then, and yet we've only paid half of our financial commitment to COVAX. So we've only paid two of the $4 billion the U.S. has pledged to help purchase vaccines for the globe. So we need to really take part in our global commitment. We need to step up to the table and help all of the countries that are in a position to help distribute vaccines around the globe. And I think what the WHO is doing is really calling our bluff and saying, okay, 
if this is something that you care about, if this is something that's important, then you've left us no choice but to talk about IP waivers because we've tried to bring everyone to the table and thus far we've failed. So maybe it's a negotiating tactic uh, on his part. Look, I know that your background, that you have worked in research labs, you've worked at one of the largest pharmaceutical firms in the world, Johnson & Johnson. A lot of people listening to this show are going to know AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer. And these are the big firms, and they see and feel that these firms are making, you know, lots of money in the middle of this crisis, uh, and that there's something that doesn't feel right about that. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that I know that bio is comprised of small firms that are not receiving government money, that are making investments and bets around that. I'd love to get your perspective and tell that story, because I think it's been neglected in the discussion about property rights. And, and why would they do what they're doing if they didn't have, you know, a property right element in, in, in moving their assets and, you know, their intellectual assets to try to solve this crisis? Right. So let's talk about, first of all, what some of the largest companies have done. You know, Johnson & Johnson has publicly pledged that they will sell their vaccine at cost. Pfizer has pledged that they will sell their vaccine at not-for-profit rates. So you have the largest companies um, in our ecosystem really stepping forward and saying, if at all we have the capacity to help, we will. But the small companies are the lifeblood of our innovation. Even Pfizer has, has partnered with a very small company, BioNTech, to produce their vaccine. And we have companies like Moderna, who were incredibly small um, before this pandemic started. Of those 960 research projects I talked about, 90% of them, 90% of our global response to COVID has come from our smallest biotechnology companies. Over 50% of those companies are U.S.-based because the U.S. has the investment ecosystem to drive that kind of response. More COVID research has been done in the U.S. alone than in the rest of the world combined because of our robust ecosystem that helps match innovators to investors. And that's precisely because we have the ability to say, you know, the carrot for all of these efforts is the opportunity to perchance make your money back, even though nine out of 10 research and development programs in biotechnology fail. So the odds are against you. Um, but at this point, we're saying the deck is stacked against you if we also take IP out of the equation. What happens, in your view, if a COVID-20 comes down the pike? COVID-20 meaning the successor coronavirus um, um, pathogen uh, that might, might come along down the pike if something like an intellectual property wa waivers uh, uh, protocol gets established? Well, we can almost turn the clock back and imagine what it would have looked like. You know, when we started those 190 COVID vaccine projects, there was absolutely no way to predict which of them would be successful. In fact, some of the front runners that we hoped would work um, actually did not pan out to be successful. And so we need to have a huge um, set of bets placed in if we have any hope at trying to combat a pandemic. So when the next one comes, I don't want the investors that made those 190 vaccine research and development programs possible to say, you know, actually, I don't wanna take that bet. I don't think it's worth my investment. It's not just about the scientists being committed to trying to find solutions. It's not just about our companies being committed um, to the science and to innovation. It's also about the confidence of investors. And so we need to maintain that confidence if we want to have the ability to respond farther down the line. We've run this national 
this natural experiment already. Europe has really eroded um, their biotechnology ecosystem over the last 30 or 40 years. And we've seen that they have not been able to generate as mm. much response um, to COVID as the U.S. companies. So why are we going to repeat that mistake? Michelle, I'm going to ask you to take your um, you know, professional, medical professional hat off for a minute and, and talk um, as a politician, you know, a global politician engaged in foreign affairs. My next guest, Ed Luce, when this announcement was made, tweeted out something very impressive. He said, you know, this is going to be great for America's brand in the world. This sends a signal that America is back, that it's reengaged. And after years of seeing that brand sink into a kind of narcissistic, uh, 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 position, you know, with, with a lot of disregard for this rule. I added a lot of words to Ed's tweet there, but his point is <laughs> that this sent a signal about American concern for the rest of the world like nothing else can do. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that just very briefly. And, and is there an alternative where America could send as equally a powerful a message to the world that it really cares for the world and, and still kind of ride this interesting question about what to do with property rights? If America was truly back and America truly expressed their caring for the world, we would be fully funding COVAX. We would be leading and calling on other countries to fully fund COVAX. We would be donating what is estimated to be an excess of 300 million vaccine doses that we will have sitting around in excess in a, in a few weeks to countries around the globe. And we would be opening up our raw materials to make sure anyone around the globe who is licensed to produce a COVID vaccine would have the over 200 ingredients they need to produce a single vaccine. That is American leadership. That is really saying, let's solve this problem and as quickly as and as efficiently as possible. It does nothing to hand needy countries a recipe book with no ingredients, um, the lack of manpower needed to really fuel and safely produce these vaccines and undermine not only these very flat, fragile global supply chains for all of these 200 raw materials, but then also to put the accountability and drop it right back in their laps and say, here, go take the six to 12 months it takes to stand up your own vaccine manufacturing facility. Go find the raw materials that barely exist and good luck, make it on your own. We need to do more than that. We are such a leading light in the world, and we need to expect more of ourselves. We need to actively help. Well, Dr. Michelle McMurray-Heath, President and CEO of the Biotechnology Innovation Organization, thanks so much for sharing your views with us today. Thank you for having me, Steve. Now to get more perspective on the issue of patent waivers for the coronavirus vaccine, we're joined by Edward Luce, U.S. national editor and columnist for the Financial Times based here in Washington, D.C., once upon a time, Edward was also the India bureau chief for the Financial Times as well. And we know India is going through a bit of hell at this moment on this very subject. Ed, you have been positive about President Biden's commitment to join those nations that want to waive intellectual property waivers with regards to coronavirus vaccine, particularly with regard to helping India and other developing nations that are in real trouble. Do you think this is the, the solution? Uh, no, no, no single act that the Biden administration or its Western partners takes is going to be the solution in and of itself. But I think this is part of the solution, um, which we can get into in a moment. I do think it's a very important sim uh, politically symbolic and geopolitically symbolic gesture from the Biden administration 
to the world to expect American leadership on this. It is extremely rare, um, if ever, that you see an American president take on Big Pharma. It just doesn't happen. Um, this isn't something that you get up in the morning as president and think, oh, that's easy, I'll do that. It just doesn't happen. So the fact that I think he's been prepared to take on Big Pharma and do something that they don't want is going to be noticed and does mm. send a very important signal of the seriousness of his intent. Right. You applauded that intent. And at the same time, in a fascinating article in the Financial Times this week, you swatted him as well, the president, for not coordinating better with our European allies in this. Uh, so, so what are you trying to hit and criticize on that element? Well, uh, it, the announcement um, last week was followed very quickly by irritation from Angela Merkel, from Emmanuel Macron, and from the, the European Commission in Brussels. And I think what this indicated is not just that they have a more conventional stance on IP protection, which Angela Merkel in particular does, um, but that there hadn't been consultation with America's allies in Europe on this. There'd been a huge internal debate on this. You, you mentioned mm. in your introduction, Biden promised in the campaign to waive IP on, on these vaccines. So this shouldn't be a surprise, but it, the devil is always going to be in the detail. And this is a global um, act. This isn't just an autonomous American act. It has to be um, approved by consensus at the World Trade Organization, which means that America's partners, France, Britain, Germany, the Swiss, a big pharma producer, are going to need to be on side. So I think there was a little bit of a, there was probably a little bit of um, um, uh, absence of diplomacy and ground pre preparation by the Biden administration. You know, Ed, there's been a lot of focus on big pharma, just as you just shared. There's also little pharma, as we just heard from yes. Dr. McMurray Heath at the Biotechnology Innovation Organization. You know, there are little firms like Gridstone, which is involved in some oncology approaches, which it has found useful uh, in attacking the coronavirus in, in, in various efforts that they're making. A company called Innovio, which is working on DNA platforms to deal with HPV virus, deal with uh, uh, other brain uh, cancer uh, issues of what uh, the, the kind that Bo Biden uh, uh, died from, also finding a way to attack the coronavirus uh, vaccine across a wide spectrum. So when, when small companies are hearing that their intellectual property rights may be waived, they may be waived across other efforts that they were making, and these aren't government-funded companies. How do you feel about that dimension? Because I worry that these little firms are having the rug ripped out from underneath them after years of investment and work to try to develop things that would help mankind, but it, it's not a you know, it's not run by the government. These are private firms. Look, there should be no theological position on intellectual property protection. Mm. Um, those who think there shouldn't be any, you know, are, are clearly living in a, a different universe. And those who think it should always be robust and draconian are living in a universe most of us don't want to live in. So clearly, in the real world, we're going to have trade-offs between the incentives to in innovate, the rewards you get from innovation, but also, on occasions such as this one, an overriding public interest. Um, in, uh, in waiving in, um, property, uh, intellectual property protection. The details of what Biden is proposing are not clear. If you mm. look at the original um, demand from India and South Africa, that's a very sweeping delicensing they're proposing of not just sort of Pfizer, not just mRNA and, and AstraZeneca's more traditional vaccine, but um, a much more sweeping across the board of all the equipment and ecosystems around them.
I don't think Biden is proposing that. And even if he were, I don't think that's what would come through um, a WTO consensus building process. So I, I think the companies that, that ought to um, be most concerned about whether this is going to hit their bottom line are probably Moderna, Pfizer, and their big suppliers. Mm. You know, I think that part of the framing of this is that some of those that who um, advocate waiving property rights see this as big companies trying to keep profits while lives are being lost. And I think that framing is working for a lot of uh, uh, people in the world. Why do you think the alternative argument isn't as compelling that these companies, this ecosystem, private public partnerships in really less than a year came up with miraculous vaccines, many options in a remarkably short period of time. And that's never happened before in history. And so that's the alternative argument. That doesn't seem to be selling uh, as much as the other side of it. Yeah, it's, it's a good argument. I would quibble with some of the details of it. The word miraculous. This is built on a lot of public research, as well as private sector innovation. As is so often the case, the National Institutes of Health, DARPA within the Pentagon, Oxford University, of course, the other side of the Atlantic, many science bodies, publicly funded science bodies and universities have been part of this giant effort to develop these vaccines. And then, of course, there was Operation Warp, um, Warp Speed, mm. which had very generous advanced contract purchases, regardless of whether the vaccines would pass regulatory approval. That gave huge commercial confidence for these companies to ramp up. Then, uh, of course, liability waivers. Um, so, you know, the idea that this is a sort of pharmaceutical equivalent of the genius in his garage, just having a light bulb going on in his head and now we're punishing him for being a genius, is not really how this process works. There are brilliant people in the private sector. There are also brilliant people in the public sector, funded by taxpayer money. And taxpayers don't tend to claim patents. You know, the NIH mm. had this famous spike protein right. that's a key part of the Moderna vaccine. It gave it to Moderna. Mm. It didn't patent it. So the taxpayer's not getting any dividends from this. Shareholders of Moderna are. And I, I, I don't think that's balanced, particularly in a global health emergency. Ed, you're one of the best observers of global affairs in America's place in the world that I know. Uh, and, and just finally, I'm interested in this fact that, you know, as it looks like right now, we're going to have a schism uh, with Germany and France on one side, maybe the Americans and who knows on the other. So this, you know, the WTO is a consensus-based organization. So this may fall flat on its face while people continue to die uh, in India and elsewhere around the world. What should we do if, in fact, that intellectual property waiver uh, uh, effort by Joe Biden just gets stuck in a logjam. What should we put on the table if that will, goes nowhere? Oh, I think even if it does go somewhere, we've got to put all of the above on the table. And I agree with Michelle very strongly that the Biden administration should be putting a lot more into COVAX, as should the Europeans, um, that there should be an all-hands-on-deck um, approach to this pandemic that involves taking it a lot more seriously globally um, than we've seen so far. And if the Biden administration stopped at this, the three billion, three, four billion it's pledged for COVAX and the pledge to argue for um, the TRIPS waiver at the WTO for vaccines, then this would be empty gesture um, um, diplomacy. It's got to be part of a much broader sort of toolkit mm. of emergency measures, most of which we've yet to see. So I would agree with her strongly on, on that point.
Well, Edward Luce, U.S. National Editor for the Financial Times, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So what is the bottom line? It's easy to see the issues of vaccine patents in black and white. Either you're on the side of the angels and want to give away intellectual property freely for the sake of humankind, or you're on the other side, the side of the devils, and you value cold, hard cash over human lives, even in the middle of a pandemic that just keeps spreading. But like many debates, it's really not so simple. If Washington was interested in equitable vaccine distribution, why isn't it doing more to get vaccines to poor countries? Why not announce today, right now, a global Marshall Plan for vaccines and do the production and the airlifting and the mass vaccinations to every corner of the earth? The world can't wait for a long World Trade Organization debate on patent protection. The only thing we know for sure is that this pandemic, with new variants erupting around the world, is testing humanity in scary ways every single day. And that's the bottom line. Thank you.